Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Tracy McDaniel's personal motto is, show up and participate for equality. Originally from South Carolina, she became the first trans person to deliver the keynote speech at the annual Martin Luther King Jr. birthday celebration, March and Rally. She marched in Washington, D.C. and lobbied in support of a fully inclusive Employment Non-Discrimination Act and increased HIV AIDS housing. In 2013, Tracy published Transitions, Memoirs of a Transsexual Woman, which chronicled her unordinary life growing up trans in the South, and then eventually in 1990, escaping to Los Angeles, California, to save her life from a domestically violent, intimate partner relationship. The book also details her evolution, working in the corporate world by day and then effortlessly transitioning into her performance artist's alter ego by night to make ends meet. Tracy is the founder and executive director of Juxtapose Center for Transformation, which is an advocacy, consulting, and social services referral organization specifically designed to empower the non-monolithic trans and gender non-conforming community. Juxtapose Center's vision is to act as a collective body to provide basic, necessary, and fundamental resources to the trans community. It's also an anchoring organization for Trans Housing Atlanta Program, Inc., which provides supportive and emergency housing resources to homeless and marginalized trans and gender non-conforming people. Tracy, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. Well, Tracy, I want to welcome you here to Collections by Michelle Brown. I see you were born and raised in South Carolina. My partner is originally from South Carolina. She's from a town called Greenwood which is, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, to get to Greenwood, you have to fly into Greenville and then drive, you know, so it's like. Well, in South the- Carolina, so you probably could just drive wherever, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everything is so small and so close. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it. I mean, you know, it's a different, it's a different vibe, it seems like. Than, 
I mean, I went down there once. I've been in different parts, and I know that that part was different to me than when, of course, I went to Charleston, and that was different to me also. What part of South Carolina do you think will always stick with you? My my hometown, Sumter, South Carolina. Um, but first off, I want to say thank you so much, Michelle, for inviting me to have this this conversation. I really appreciate it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, born and raised in South Carolina um, during the height of the Civil Rights Movement on the inaugural day. Um, so uh, South Carolina is my home, I, whether I'm living there or not. Uh-huh. Wow. You know, you were there, you grew up there, and one of the things that I, I, I'm telling you, I, I appreciate the strength and the beauty of so many of my trans sisters, particularly those who grew up in the South, and I know many of them later left and moved somewhere else, but there is something about that that grit that they're able to hold on to and to to live authentically, even though it may have been hard initially. How old were you when you left South Carolina? Oh, my goodness. I, I got out of South Carolina officially um, without running away from home. Um, I was 18 years old when I, when I was, um, legal to leave home without being labeled a runaway. And I must say that um, coming from South Carolina it, it has, has, has made um, me resilient. Any trans person, gender nonconforming person coming from South Carolina, they have to go through the hard knock life, and that only strengthens us, strengthens us and makes, makes us a lot stronger to, to deal with the everyday challenges um, inside South Carolina and outside of South Carolina. So um, I, I, I wanted to get out of South Carolina as soon as possible because I knew South Carolina um, wasn't um, the place uh, to, to nurture me into becoming the person that I am. However, there is a bittersweet relationship with South Carolina because my family is there, my mother is there. And so that, that's where my heart is going to forever be. Um, as long as my, my, my mother is on this earth and my family members are there, so, yes, South Carolina does strengthen us in many ways. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, when you were coming up, and, and, I, and especially now looking back on what you experienced as a young trans woman and what's going on there, because, you know, we see a lot of visibility, but we still see a lot of transphobia. And often yes. where I see uh, the young women who are being killed, they are from that. What has changed? What do you see has changed from your youth to what young people are experiencing in the South now? Because you're still technically in the South, you're in Atlanta. Yes, it's, it's very challenging. And, and what I tell other people is, you know, um, we, we're supposed to be here. There isn't a mistake for us being here, um, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, the Holy Bible um, speaks about um, eunuchs um, in the Bible, which is a, mar- is a biblical reference to the modern-day transgender, non-conforming, non-binary person. Um, so we've, we've been here forever, 
And regardless of, of what society says about us or feels about us or their biases or their phobias, we still have to walk out with our heads held high. Because if we don't, um, what, what other choice is there? And I, I, one of my models is show up and participate for equity, equity uh-huh. in housing, health care, um, employment, everyday societal needs. Um, it's important for us to show up because if we're not showing up, then our voices aren't being heard. And when our voices aren't being heard, then our needs aren't being met. On the other side of that, I understand those um, trans people, gender nonconforming, nonbinary people who choose to not um, show up and speak as publicly as I am. Not a lot of people want people in their business. Not a lot of people are comfortable with it. I had to become comfortable with showing up as my authentic self and being able to publicly say, I'm a trans woman and here I am, I am resilient and I am a blessing. You know, I, I, I'm not a mistake. So uh, we, we have to, black people, you know, people throughout history have had to fight. We're still fighting. We're still fighting for voting rights. We're still fighting for human and, and civil rights. And that's all that we want. We want the same protection, the same equity that everyone else um, within our community um, get, and they take lightly in, in a lot of cases. You know, when you were invited to deliver the keynote speech at the Martin Luther King Jr. birthday celebration, the march and rally, and I know, like, sometimes you know in your gut, you know, I'm supposed to show, stand up here and I've got something to say, but <clears throat> there's that moment of pause. How did you get that invitation, and what were you feeling? What did you want to get across to people when you stepped on that stage and spoke? Well, that was a a momentous moment for me, and I want to thank um, Craig Washington and um, Darlene Hudson. They're the organizers of the um, TLGBQ um, Martin Luther King um, breakfast, and they invited me to speak. Um, in 2007, and I, I wasn't aware that I was the first trans person to ever speak on that occasion. So the day of, um, I, I, when I found out, I was pretty nervous. Um, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. I, I wasn't sure if the audience would receive um, what I had to, to say to them. But the only thing that I knew that I had the opportunity to shed a, a positive light on our, on our humanity. And so that was mm-hmm. my focus. Regardless if people got it or what, whatever, as long as they, they saw it and they can't deny, you know, that we're here, we're human beings, and we have the right to exist just as everyone. So that's what I wanted to. I wanted to illuminate our humanity and make sure that, you know, people don't think that we're the typical Jerry Springer stereotypes and the, all the other madness that's going on. That's, that's entertainment. But our lives are real lives. You know, we, we want the pursuit of happiness just like everyone else. You know, we want the basic, the, the things that everyone else um, require as human beings, and so that's what we want. And that's why um, I felt it's so important, regardless if I was trembling in my boots or not, I had to get up there and deliver what I had to do because I was asked to do it and I wasn't going to say no. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's it. I mean, that, that often, you know, because I've, you know, I've done some public and people say, well, aren't you afraid, but it's like, yeah, but you, you use that fear to help you to do that and to say that. And like you said, everybody might not have gotten it, but first of all, they saw you up there. 
I mean, yeah. visibility matters. You were up yeah. there. You said what you had to say, and they might not have got it that day, but you put a seed in their brain to where they were thinking, and the next time someone tried to to trash a transgender person, they go like, wait a minute. I was right. at this, Absolutely. and she was invited, and she spoke, and this is what she said. Absolutely. I, I strongly believe that our visibility saves lives. Um, mm-hmm. If we're not able to, 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 to be um, who we are and, and hold our heads high, then we're, we're always going to be marginalized. We're always going to be treated as second-class citizens. And in a lot of people, people's eyes, they see us as, as inhuman. So I think visibility is very important. And that way, the next generation, their pathway will be a little smoother so they don't have to deal with the same nonsense that my generation and just like the generation before us, they made the way a little smoother for me to do what I'm doing because without them, I don't know if I would be able to do and represent our community the, the way that I am. Mm-hmm. And there's the fact that you don't have to, you know, you're not asking to get fixed. You know, there's nothing that needs yep. to be fixed on you. You're okay. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Fixed. Say it again. You know, hey, you were born this way. You are perfect, you know. That's you, right. That's right. You know, you talk about your family's unconditional love and support. That's something that, you know, most people think. They go like, oh, well, if you come out as gay, trans, gender nonconforming, bi, whatever, that, you know, of course the first thing your family is going to do is not appreciate you or not love you how important was that support to you and then when you knew it was time for you to leave what part of that were you you know did you have that moment like you know but I have to go and live my life I know you love me but I have I've got other things to do you you know what I've always felt that way I've always felt growing up my my mother lived her life my family members are, are living their lives. So I have a right to live my life regardless of if they understand it or they appreciate it or not. It, in the beginning, it was a challenge for my mother to accept that I was different, that I, I, I was different from all the other, um, um, other little uh, people assigned at birth as male children. I wasn't mm-hmm. that person. And we had our struggles and we had our challenges. And um, I ran away a lot. I ran away for the first time um, at seven years old because I didn't. I felt out of place. I felt that I was not in a place that would that would be able to 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 um, uh, keep me safe um, as far as the person who I'm identifying as. And so that we had a lot of challenges. Um, and uh, at a at a certain point um, after I went to counseling, you know. Uh, it, uh, I wanted to find out why I was I attracting bad relationships, and in that process, I um, uh, had an opportunity to to have a conversation with my mother about some of the experiences that I had um, growing up. And she didn't deny it; she didn't act like it didn't happen. She only did what she thought she needed to do to protect me. Because growing up in South Carolina and being gender nonconforming, um, people are cruel. The world is cruel. There are wolves out there, and her intention. Um, uh, was to protect her child because I know without a, a, a doubt in my bone that my mother loves me 100%. And I know that what she did was because she was trying to protect me because she saw 
how other people were being treated. She worked in, in places where people were talking about um, trans people, gay, lesbian people in the worst way ever. So she, she, she's been around it and she's heard it. And she didn't want that for me. And I, I understand that. And she apologized for, um, for, for the way she did what she did. And, I, and like I told her, she used the tools that she had at, a, at her exposure at that time. And, and she did the best that she could. And to be quite honest, I thank my mother to this day, although during the time that I was experiencing, I, I ran away and I wasn't happy about some of the experiences. Um, her, she, she's my foundation. She, she set me on the path to, to, to love and appreciate myself. To, um, to, my mother always told my brother and I to be leaders, not followers. So that will always stay with me. And when I when I moved away from home, that's what I took with me. I took my foundation. I took uh, my mother t- t- told us how um, and taught us the importance of loving ourselves and not just following people. And so all of that, all of those experiences, uh, the good and the bad, I took with me. And you know, I I, I thank God that um, because you know when I when I moved away from home, I I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone. When I moved to Myrtle Beach for the first time at 18 for a summer job and stayed two years, I knew my friends, my friends from high school, um, um, people that I grew up with. We all took, got summer jobs together. Then when they left the beach and then I stayed on for two years, and I wasn't ready to go home. I, 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 had, I had gotten my freedom, and that's where I was going to go. I was going to go see what, what was out there. So I decided to come to Atlanta, Georgia, not knowing anyone, not um, having any idea what I was going to do um, once I got here. Um, but fortunately, um, during those, those times, I've always said a prayer. Um, God, um, protect me, um, put me where you want me to be, and remove me from the situations where um, I should not be. So that's always been with me, and I am so fortunate that I did not fall into the same pitfalls that a lot of a lot of people have fallen into, and regardless of everything that happened um, during my childhood, growing up, and the challenges that my mother and I had, one thing that I want all parents to know is: do not put your child out. Do not put your child out there in the world to a bunch of wolves in sheep's clothing. In a lot of cases, no matter what, my mother never kicked me out of our home, and when I left home on my own at 18 years old. I knew that I had a home to go to. I was never homeless. I never felt that I didn't have a place, a safe place to go if need be. And fortunately, when I moved away from home, I've been living on my own ever since then. And I love going home to visit, but I love coming back to my home now. You know, I mean, that is just like so, what you just said about your, it sort of really touched me because I know that I left home not at seven. I was, you know, I left home early <laughs> out and did that. But I know that later in life, my mother and I sort of got to point, and I and I said, "Why were you, you know, you were mean to me? You didn't accept me." And she said, "That's something similar to that." She knew what the world was like, and she wanted to protect me from the hardness. But just like what you said, that put in those foundations about you know, finding out who I was, being my own person, taking care of myself. And, you know, as you, mm-hmm. I listened to you talk about your mother, and I lost my mother in 2001. Mm-hmm. 
But that we were able to go full circle and we were able to have that conversation and I understood. But that just like touched so close to home, I could hear conversations that I had with my mother about it. Yeah. And and now I recognize those traits in me. And I also think that as I talk to people now and I see parents who are more affirming, parents who are, you know, trying to understand better, and even young parents, I often tell I had some friends who had their daughter is, she's a toddler now, but while she was in her mother's, they never went like, oh, is it going to be a boy's girl? They, were, they held fast to having a safe, healthy birth, a healthy mm. child. And and they used they and them until mm-hmm. she was born. And even then they provide a space for her to to be who she wants to be. And I'm going like, wow. You know, I mean, so sometimes as you stop and you think about it, but to remember that part about the love and, you know, and helps you be the person that you are, you know, be the person that, that you are. That is, I mean, really, as you talk there, I mean, I'm blinking, you know, I'm blinking like, wow. Yeah. That's something yeah. that I, well, I recall. We need more parents that affirm their children, regardless if they understand or not. How can you give birth to someone and then just throw them out like they're trash? I, mm-hmm. I, I never understood it, you know, and I, you know, people have to do what they feel like, like they have to do, but that's the worst thing that you can do is throw your mm-hmm. child out and they don't have no foundation because you know they can get into they can get into the wrong crowd, wrong peer pressure. You know I'm so thankful that I I didn't follow that path of you know robbing people, stealing drugs, alcohol because I I I was accountable to my mother and I was not going to look at my mother's face <laughs> and I didn't want to see that type of disappointment and that's just who I'm not. You know so I'm thankful for that. Mm-hmm. I mean really that that is that is just that is just like. Amazing. And you know what? And that's what that's a message and a story that as you talk about being yourself, living authentically, talking about that that yes, yeah, sometimes it can be, be hard, but you can do it. That's a message that for that's timeless that we still need to hear because you know, you don't get a manual on how to parent. And to hear that that these are evolution things. Don't make don't do it that way. Understand that you might be you're fearful for your child, but don't let that fear, you know, dictate how you are with them. Let that fear be strengthening your love. Yes, and not, don't let that fear be their reason for therapy later uh, on in life. Because, uh, you know, you can be too overly protective and just mess people up. Uh-huh. Wow. You know, I'll tell you. I, and that's the thing, like, as as we go along and as you see people and you, I'm just like so proud and amazed when I see people, especially as they embrace their kids and encourage their kids, support their kids, ready to go to the mat for their kids. Right. That's my mama, honey. Mm -hmm. My mama bear, she let you know, honey, you got to come through me before you get to my kids. So, Everybody in the neighborhood knew, don't mess with them because she's crazy. She don't play with her kids. Even my family <laughs> members knew, 
don't mess with her kids, honey. You got one time to do it, and she'll set you straight. So, mm-hmm. Wow. Well, we're going to take our first break, and I want to talk a little bit about another part of your life after you left home and um, get into your book. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here with Tracy, <laughs> excuse me, McDaniel. Tracy, so you left, you did leave the South, though, and you went to California. Yeah. I mean, and I'm reading, you know, you had an alter ego. You yeah. danced behind <laughs> Janet Jackson. No, wow. Dinah Ross, back, back up Dinah Ross. for Dinah Ross. Yeah. Uh-huh. What drew you to L.A.? Just L.A.? <laughs> No, to be co- to be honest, there was a story behind that. I was living in Atlanta. Um, I was in a, a relationship that was uh, uh, abusive. Um, I, I, um, uh, my mother taught me to think for myself and not uh, let other people control me. So I wasn't going to let someone control me or try to manipulate me into doing what they wanted me to do. So I was in a relationship that I kept breaking up. Um, we get back together, break up, get back together, and physical violence and you know, I thought one day, you know, um, we're going through this. This is supposed to be a person who says they love me. But, you know, I'm having to put um, makeup over my black eyes and uh, yeah. cover up my bruises in order to go to work and make money. Um, and I just got tired of it. I said, um, either one day he's going to hurt me, kill me, or I'm going to hurt him defending myself because I'm not going to let anyone beat on me because, you know, I'm not his child. And so we broke up the last time, and I said, this is it. We lived in a neighborhood, a community with some friends. I moved in with them. I pretended, you know, we were going to do our usual, stay apart of a few weeks or whatever, and then get back together. I played my part and knew all along that I was out. In the huh? meantime, I was thinking about, I, I knew that I had to get as far away from him as possible because as long as he knows where I am, he's going to come and find me. And, you know, that I, I was weak, and I got back with him, and I wasn't doing that this time. So I decided I either have to go to um, Paris, France, or to Los Angeles, California, to get as far away from him and that relationship as possible. So I chose L.A., didn't know anyone there. Um, I, I just knew that I, was, I had to get away to save my life. So got there. Um, uh, didn't have a job, didn't, didn't know how I was going to get a job, but I knew that my alter ego, I started entertaining um, my alter ego destiny, your mistress of illusions, when I um, lived in um, Atlanta. And so I knew that I had, um, in addition to my culinary art skill, I had the entertainment 
to fall back on. So I knew once I get there, I can I can figure out how to get a job and do what I needed to do to to survive. So when I got there um, off the Greyhound bus, I asked the cab driver um, to take me to a safe place. Um, he took me to a nice hotel downtown. I think I was paying like $50 a week. I had money saved before leaving L.A. because I was working and stashing my money, um, you know, for my escape. And so once um, I got there, um, I asked the cab driver, does he know um, where the illusionists work, um, uh, the um, uh, performers, entertainers? And so he knew exactly what I was talking about. So he told me Uh about the club called Peanuts on Santa Monica Boulevard. He even told me which bus to take from downtown to get there, et cetera, et cetera. So I got there, I think that was a, a Monday, so that following Wednesday, um, I got myself together. I figured, well, let me just take the bus and check the club out, and um, maybe I could check it out a little later or whatever. So when I got there, to my surprise, it was open, and there was a person behind the bar that, uh, stocking the bar and found out it was the, the manager, Michelle, so I introduced myself, told her that I was new to um, Atlanta, I mean to L.A., and I, I wanted to find out if there was a possibility to audition for, for their show. And so she told me, you know, come back on Friday. We have a 12 o'clock show. You can audition then, bring two numbers. So I did. I, I went back that following weekend, auditioned, got the job, um, got hired to be a cast member, working regularly on Friday and Saturday nights. And so that's a, that, that was my first job when I got there, and I, 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 I was happy about that because, you know, I didn't have to spend every last little penny that I had saved on the hotel and food, so I was able to make more money and, and you know, move forward from there. And so during that time, I started working, entertaining, getting various bookings, um, having a great time. Um, and then um, one day, uh, one Saturday afternoon, I was shopping on Hollywood Boulevard, and I just came out of, um, uh, oh, gosh, uh, Playmates. Um, and um, because uh, I was shopping for some costumes and some accessories for the show that weekend. So I was standing there at the um, at the stop light ready to cross the street, and so I noticed this tall, um, handsome um white guy sort of stood next to me. And so um, I just figured he was waiting across the street also. And so um, he struck up a conversation and, 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 and it ended up him asking me to lunch. And so I was like, well, it's daytime. Um, you know, the restaurant, there's a restaurant, a diner right there across the street. So I said, why not? What what do I have to lose? So I had dinner, uh, lunch with him that day. And he told me about his um, computer company and, um, uh, that he was looking for uh, someone to help manage um, uh, his company. And um, he asked if, if I was interested. And I was like, what? You know, to myself, you know, he doesn't don't know me. Um, he doesn't know what my skills are. And um, and so I said, yeah, you know, wh- what are the, what are, um, the responsibilities? So he explained it to me. And so I said, yes. And so he told me, he gave me his information and, um, before we ended our lunch, he pulled out his checkbook and wrote out a check and said, this is an advance on your on your first check. I know that you're trying to get your own place, um, so I just wanted to give you, help you as much as I can. So, And I said, cool. And, you know, at the, at the moment I was staying with a friend of mine, and so when I went home and told her about it, she said, girl, 
you're so gullible. These men, these people out here writing checks and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I said, girl, well, he, he, I, I got a lunch out of it, um, and I didn't have to do anything else. So what I will do is Monday when when the um the when the business is open I wasn't going to deposit it into my bank account because I wasn't sure so I took it to the check cashing place and it cashed and so uh-huh. it was on then so I the following Monday I started working for him it ended up he liked me and all this stuff however I told him I was in a relationship I wasn't it was at the tail tail end of it I wasn't ready to go there. So he respected that. And so I worked for him during the day at the computer company managing um, day-to-day operations, and then I was working at night. So I had my job situation together, so I was set. And so I just went on from there. And eventually um, I got a a, a personal manager. He he, he, uh, came across an opportunity. Um, Dinah Ross was doing her music video for her latest song, um, I will survive, and so I got uh-huh. an audition, an opportunity to audition for it. So I auditioned for it. Um, the producers, they loved me. I got the job, and so when I went the night of the filming, um, the day of the filming, um, I was chosen by the producer to be the rehearsal stand-in for Miss Ross herself. So I got to do her lines and do the rehearsals that she was going to do in the video. Uh-huh. And so that was an amazing opportunity to get to work um, as a backup dancer, backup singer for for one of my idols. Um, and, and I didn't start impersonating her until a couple of years before that. Um, and so it, it was a wonderful opportunity to meet a living legend icon that a lot of people love and admire. And it was just a, a wonderful experience that I will always cherish and I'm so grateful for. Wow. I mean, that is, that is just, like, amazing. That is just, like, you know, you know and that how you how you just, you had some hooks for you went out there and did it, you know, and you got two jobs. You know, now, thinking about that, how do you, how does it feel as you see people like Laverne Cox and MJ mm. Rogers and, and, yes. you know, and, and you know what, and where, and I know, what is this one? Big Sky, they have a trans woman who's in there. But, you know, but yes. it's not always, you know, we're getting, you seeing like, people getting the break. They're doing it. They're being recognized for yes. their talent. How does that feel as you see it? Do you just sort of stand up and do your, your happy dance, say, go, girl? Of course. I do my happy dance, joyful dances, everything, because it's about time that we start seeing positive images of us, not those mm-hmm. crazy um, of, of roles that these whomever creates to think it's funny or whatever. And, and it's, it's also amazing to see actual trans people, trans women, trans men actually doing the job, the acting job. They're not hiring a man in a dress just because they want a trans person. They're hiring an, an actual trans person that's qualified to do the job and represent us the way that we should be represented. So I say go. And that, that that's an inspiration for me. The writers, um, the, the writers of Pose, you know, Laverne Cox, like you said, all of these, uh, MJ Rodriguez, it, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I want to see more of it. Unfortunately, when we're getting the, the positive light um, um, shined on us, there are those who don't like seeing us in that way. They don't want to see us in those positive roles and the um, positive images for other people to see. 
you know, so we there's when we take a step forward, a good step forward, there's always someone that wants to take us three steps backwards. But we're not doing that because, we, honey, the genie is out of the bag, so get ready or get over it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that, and I like that some of the roles that they aren't, like you said, they're not um, stereotypical. Like, you know, oh, well, you know, like, the joke, you know, and I think yes. that's part of an evolution because, you know, like, like for women, for black people in general, mm. like we always have to start out being funny, you know. Mm. Always, or somebody's you know, sidekick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, but like when you see, because I know, um, I can't think of his name, um, Brian Michael Smith, he plays a transgender man on 9-11. Oh, uh, yes. Yes, 9-11. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and he's not pretending that he's something other than who he is. And so, like, yes. they're showing that we're, they're real-life stories, so we don't have to be funny. We don't always have to, you know, something that's like a, a takeoff on a drag show or something. Yes. You know that? Oh. That, mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're so more than that. We're mm-hmm. more than that. And, and I'm, I'm happy that we're evolving. Um, like you said, nine one one. I love that show. Then there's um, um, was it uh, Supergirl um, who has a trans character. <laughs> I mean, all kinds of positive images of of, of us, and which is what we need. Mm-hmm. It's about I mean, cause, time. You know, because I mean, I can remember coming up, and then you know where you know what was the one that someone would talk about, <laughs> especially if you were around white people, and they would ask you mm. about something. Your, like your life was good times. No. Right. <laughs> At my house, we're not always laughing. It's not always horrible and we're laughing. It's like, you know, that there are jobs. Like you said, you went, you could you could work in an office. You could have your entertainment. Yes. You could do all these things. I mean, it's just like it really, every time I see something like that, you know, I'll go back and watch a show if they're showing that. Absolutely. Now, I know you retired from entertainment. Now, did your book, Transitions, Memoirs of a Transsexual Woman, come before or after you really got involved in in so much social justice work? Or did you, while you were doing the social justice work, did you say, I should write about my life? Um, I've always wanted to tell my own story um, because I Mm -hmm. felt that um, a lot of times our stories are are not told in in the way that it should be. Uh, um, They're whitewashed in a lot of ways, and and they're just not accurate in many ways. So I've always felt that it was important for us to tell our own stories in our own words so there is no misunderstanding. And it all worked together. Um, um, So while I was doing my advocacy, I, I... I had a lot to say, so I wanted to write it down. Um, uh, So it all worked together, my advocacy, uh, my entertainment career. um, Yeah, it all came together. You know, it it wasn't a separation or anything like that, but, yeah, it was was all a part of of me at the time, so I wanted to express that. So when you (coughs) became a trainer, for the Justice Department, and, you know, and I've met how engaged was it? How, you know, often 
I have, uh, what does Karen live? Karen Kinder Homes. I'm trying to think where Karen lives. She lives in the D.C. area. And um, she has become a trainer working with officers and stuff to try to help them, but particularly as they deal with the trans community, mm-hmm. to them as you're dealing with a citizen and to not immediately go in with this mindset of, you know, well, they're criminals. They're doing something wrong. When you were working with the Department of Justice, did you have to change the way that they thought about it? That, you know, that, I mean, even if a trans sister is doing sex work, it doesn't mean that she should be beat up, you know? And Absolutely. So how did, when you went in, was that one of the jobs that you had to do of, of changing their mindset? Fortunately, um, the Department of Justice that we were dealing with were, were under the Obama administration, so they were ready. They were they were they were hungry for the information. So it wasn't like we had to go in there and pull teeth. It was a, a group of um, stakeholders, leaders within the community. It, 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 in my experience, I didn't feel like we had to go in there and, and pull teeth or you know convince someone or something. They were ready for the information. Um, and so we, we use that information to develop the training for federal law enforcement. And locally, I was uh, very happy to have been involved with the APD um, training at the academy, training the new recruits, um, and also helping to write the APD SOP standards of procedures, which is what all officers are supposed to use when they're interacting with trans and gender nonconforming non-binary people. So I was happy to be a part of writing that and making sure that all officers that are coming through the um, academy will be trained on interacting with gender nonconforming, non-binary people, and also they have the guideline in the SOP as how they're supposed to conduct themselves. In addition to that, I'm, I'm, I was blessed to um, have been appointed in 2016 by former Mayor Kasim Reed to the Atlanta Citizen Review Board which is the oversight, law enforcement oversight board, that if a community member has an issue or feel like their, their rights have been violated by an APD officer or a correctional officer, they can come to the Atlanta Citizen Review Board and file a complaint. Their, plaint will, their complaint will be, um, will be investigated by uh, in-house investigators. We have our own investigators that go out and do a thorough job investigating. Um, and, and so then we, we meet as a board and um, rule on recommending um, whatever we have to recommend, discipline or um, even uh, 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 giving someone, a, yeah, you did that right. Uh, and so I've, I've enjoyed being able to um, be effective in that way to to make sure, you know, because just because I'm not experiencing some of the things and the issues that other people are experiencing, that doesn't mean I'm not affected by it. I don't have empathy for that person. I, I, don't, I, I don't have empathy for their family members if they're, if they're murdered or whatever. So whatever I can do to use my voice um, to, to make it better for the next person, for the next generation, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. And I'm so happy that I live in a, a, in a city now where we have our mayors um, um, who, who, who see the importance of um, being inclusive. I've worked under Mayor Kasim Reed, and I've worked under um, our former uh, previous mayor, um, Keisha Lance Bottoms, and hopefully I get to, 
to work with our current mayor, um, Andre Dickens, um, to, to make sure that, you know, our needs are being met on a policy level. Because our lives are, are, are real just as everyone else's are. So I just wanted to make sure that I can, you know, uh, use my voice in any way that I can to, to make it better for the next person. You know, those were such great years, you know, when during the Obama administration, you know, oh. during that time I was on um, the board of the National Black Justice Coalition, and we went in there, some of the board members, to talk about issues that were affecting our community um, and the lack of some of the things that they say as well, you know, we never kept statistics on it. We never found out about, you know, the black, trans, gay community. Um, and to have worked with people who who had been there and had been able to not only them, but to go ahead and to testify before Congress and to continue to lift us up and to do it. You know, then we went into that orange period but now mm. we're back to, you know uh, now we're back at another point and we start to see it's sort of like in some ways you'd be having been able to be there you were able to lay the groundwork give some seeds of information and often some of the people who are doing the work stay you know they are not elected they stay so that it might not have been acted on during the last four years but had been placed that it was there. Now we have an administration that's going to to be able to do it. I mean, when you were that little girl in South Carolina, did you ever in your wildest dreams believe that you would go to the White House to tell them something? No. And they'd want to hear Absolutely not. No. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think my mother did. Um, You know, um, she loved Frederick Douglass and... um, being born on 60, uh, um, at the height of the civil rights movement in South Carolina, she knew, um, uh, she suspected that I would do something, um, but I never knew. All I knew is that um, I, I nothing happened by chance. I, I felt mm-hmm. like uh, um, every step that I've taken has been, been planned by, by my creator. All I have to do is be brave, bold enough and brave enough to take the step. And so I don't, I don't, I don't believe um, nothing happened by ha- happenstance. It was all in divine order, and that's just how I, I live my life. You know, everything is there is a reason for everything, and I, whether it's good or bad, I have to find the silver lining and you know focus on that because you know, uh, like you said, we the orange period it seems like we're we're still experiencing PTSD. Um, from that that administration, and hopefully we don't have to deal with that again. But you know, uh, we we just have to do what we have to do and stay strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know it is, and you have to keep strong, and you can't, like you said, keep keep moving forward, seeing the path, and then don't be afraid. You know, sort of take the path because if it's there, it's meant for you to walk, and you're protected. You know, yeah, absolutely. All I have to do is be a good person, treat people the way I want to be treated, and regardless of what I, I know what my intentions are. So whatever someone else feels or however they they think about a situation, I have no control over that. The only person that I can control is myself and how I respond and react to whatever situation. Uh huh. Wow. I mean that that is just like phenomenal. 
Well, one thing uh, that I'd like to, to hear about, um, you are in Canada, international superstar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. You were at uh, the annual conference, and this love letter that you said is to your mother that chronicles more intimate insights into your life. I am my sister and brother's keeper. How did that come to you? And it it was just, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, was it just, you know, and when you were writing it, I know that you probably, you know, you had your mother in mind, but is it something that it's not just your mother? Like when you were telling me about your mother, it touched me. When you were writing it, were you saying it to your mother, but to mothers? Mothers, specifically Uh to my mother. However, all mothers, Uh all mothers. It's important, wow. you know, for for mothers to understand that they're not alone. A lot of a lot of mothers, parents, daddies too, they're raising their children as well. They feel like they're alone and they don't have any support or any resources. So if there is anything that I can do or say to support them and make them and and and, and probably assist them with with thinking differently um, and maybe try something different, then you know it's all for the good. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're going to take our second break and then Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode.
Yeah. Perfect. And we're back here with Tracy McDaniel. You know, when you were talking about I was in the Atlanta area. I want to say it was in 2019, but it was out right outside at um, I can't think of the name of the, of the little town, but it was right outside of Atlanta. And I was at a thing that was being hosted by Zami Nobla. And, um, mm, yes, I love Zami Nobla. Yeah. So the mayor had come, and she was talking to Marianne Adams, who's like the founder. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, yes. A, you know, badass and a friend. Yeah. And um, they were, she was talking to her, and she was addressing some of the things, and she was telling the mayor that sometimes she said, like, where they were, she said, um, we don't get, if it's something that's, uh, you know, same gender loving, trans, sometimes mm-hmm. we don't get response from the police or whatever it was. And it just so happened that um, during this conference, someone had an uh, uh, episode and they needed 911. So they called, and everyone who was sitting around it, well, they know where this is. It'll see, let's see how long it, it takes you. Take some together. We were watching, waiting, watching, so, oh, it'll take forever, you know, because they know this is where, you know, all, all of us gay folks are. And the mayor said, you know, pick up the phone and she called, she said, this is mayor something. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Look at, look. And I need somebody out here now. And she was saying, okay. you know, had she not been engaged by Marianne, like Marianne told her and was telling her what happened in there, you know, and it's one thing to to hear about it, but Marianne is like, you know, she gets a hold of you and she's going to make sure, you know, you need to come and show up at this. You know, we're part of your yeah. community too. But had she mm-hmm. not seen it, she would have seen firsthand what was happening and how to make it better. You have been involved in Atlanta politics, and I'm sure your visibility has helped make things better. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just say this about Marianne Adams and um, Marianne and, and Zamley Nobla. Um, uh-huh. You know, it's not every, it's, it's not often that um, black women, um, especially black women for the South, um, will have um, our backs. And um, when people try to exclude trans and gender nonconforming, non-binary people from events and conferences and stuff like that, um, Zami, Zami, um, Zami Nobla and Mary Ann, they said no. If they're not gonna, if you're not gonna open it up to to trans people, they're human beings also. Then we're not gonna participate. So that's what I want to say about um, uh, about Zami Nobla and Marianne. Um, uh, you know, it's very important um, for 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 our community to have our backs. You know, um, and I'm sorry, I forgot the second part of your question. No, I mean you're in tech, but you know what. I have, to, I have to go along with it because, you know, I had, through someone else, told me about Marianne. I interviewed her. I've interviewed her partner. I said, she said mm-hmm. she was doing I said, I'm going to come down there. And she said, oh, you're staying with me. First of all, it's the mm-hmm. best weekend ever, okay? But mm-hmm. where they were, um, there was an organization, it was a trans organization that was having something in this place. And on the other side, 
was just some people. And um, they didn't have the turnout that they had wanted, the trans organization, and they were having dinners. Marion went over there and told them, you need to come over here and support this group. Come Absolutely. On and they will go, and pass the hat and say, no, no, you're not just going to come in and get a plate and go on back over there where you are. Mm. You're going to okay. support it. I mean, and it was like, girl, I'll tell you, I mean, yeah, I have, you know, when you think about people who you have such high respect for, Marianne Adams yeah. is one of them. I mean, Marianne yeah, Adams absolutely. And like you said, yeah. you, you know, we're a community. She supports. They are. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes to the table. Or, or, you know, if everybody isn't coming to the table, nobody's coming to the table. So, you know, I And, and, and that's, that's what they did. That's what Marianne did. And so, you know, we need more people like, like Marianne and, and Zami Nobler um, to, to, to stand up and call it out when it's wrong. It's just wrong, honey. You don't treat people any kind of way because you have your perceived notions or your biases about them or you've had some kind of experience, a negative experience with someone else, and you're going to take it out on, on, an, on another person in a whole community, that's crazy. And, you know, and, let, and you have to, let's be honest. Sometimes the gay and lesbian, oh. gay men, lesbians, they want to, they're, they're, sometimes they can be some of the worst offenders. And we have Absolutely. to call other on our stuff. Absolutely. Just because you're gay and lesbian, that doesn't mean you're you're pro-trans, and that's clear with a lot of the actions that that that's going on. Yeah, and so I should say, you know, so <laughs> her ears are probably burning right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, they should be. But like I said, you know, I mean, I mean, really, I I I talked about that weekend and. Just the whole overall feeling and how welcoming and strong, leaving it, I felt stronger because of her, you know. Right. Uh, That's real community. Uh-huh. Okay. Now. <laughs> Get back to you, my dear. <laughs> All right. Juxtaposition. What, did, what is that? How did it come about? And what is your mission? Well, in 2006, I was in school at the time. I was taking some classes, and um, um, I was also um, participating in some other organizations locally, and I wasn't happy. I didn't feel like what they were doing and their platform represented who I am. And so I figured I'd go ahead and establish something of my own to, you know, legitimize my advocacy and, you know, just, you know, set the standards for myself and, um, we, we want to be a collective. Um, we want to be a, a, a source for community. Um, what we do is we provide um, social services referrals to um, trans people, um, whether they're looking for someone to help them with their ID change, their name change, whatever. We refer them out to the organizations that will treat them like human beings, which is why um, how, how Trans Housing Atlanta program got started because a group of us, um, community stakeholders, we, we were sick and tired of complaining about trans people and gender nonconforming people being denied access to shelters in their time of need and just uh-huh. being treated any kind of a way. And, and there, was, there weren't any resources out there. And so we, we just got tired of complaining and we came together as a community. Um, my co-founder, um, a colleague, Jamie Roberts, 
Um, and um, we wanted to be able to provide trans and gender non-conforming, non-binary people with everyday basic needs. Um, if, if you need a, assistance paying your, your rent, we, we, we help you with that. If you need assistance with buying food, gas, or a martyr card, whatever it is that you need in your everyday um, we want it to be a resource and, and, and help um, people with that. And um, we've been doing it. Um, it's all um, volunteer. Um, it's all donations um, from the community. And so um, we've been doing that since 2013 now. And um, we just wanted, especially now in the pandemic, um, before it was challenging for trans people to get a job and get basic health care needs and other other everyday needs. Um, and so with the pandemic, it's now threefold. And so mm-hmm. we're just happy that we, we can um, we can be of assistance, um, you know, um, so someone doesn't have to go without food. Or if you got a job interview, um, you, you can have a, a MARTA card. You know, we understand that sometimes life is hard, so we just want to be a be able to to assist. I'm sorry yeah, about know, that. So that's, yeah, because you know, it is more than yes. It's important to have your ID and things like you said. But like you said, if there's a place for a job and you don't have a way to get there, I right. mean, you know, yeah, and that could be. I mean, a matter of of getting work and not. You know, and mm-hmm. life's hard. Not everyone has savings. Not everyone has a, a rainy day fund. So you know, we wanted to be 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 there. And to be able to tell people, you know, I worked for an agency once, and when it got really cold here, like they would open up an area for people to come to be warm, and right. even though they had the best of intentions because they didn't have an understanding of that a trans person just also wants to be warm just like everybody else. They might be trying to get away from an abusive situation. Yes. But their best efforts would almost not only stigmatize, but sort of like put them out to where there were women, trans sisters who said, well, you know, this is horrible. I, you know, I could go back there, like you said, at least, you know, and, and stay and take take the licks until I can get my money together and get away, rather than right. coming, they're supposed to help me. And right. I'm and not treat you getting... just as worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Treat you just as worse. Um, you know what? I I wish I had an organization like Trans Housing Atlanta Program or JCT. Um, when I was out there growing up on my own, not, you know, living in a state where I didn't have any family, any of that sort of support, you know, I, I mean, it's it's amazing. And so I'm just happy to be a part of it to, you know, to be able to, to, to help people get the assistance that I wasn't able to um, get if I needed it back in the day. So what do you find are the biggest challenges facing members of your community during the pandemic? Well, the the challenges remain the same. Uh, Access Mm -hmm. to quality health care, gainful employment opportunities, um, fair housing, affordable housing, um, food, everything. Um, And unfortunately, there's been a wave of trans people being murdered 
Um, uh-huh. His brother-in-law, um, Poverty Law Center, reported in this 2017 report that in the first two months of 2017, trans people, particularly trans women of color, were being murdered at a rate of almost one per week. Uh-huh. Now, that's outrageous. And, uh-huh. you know, here it is, 2022, and, you know, things haven't changed. Uh-huh. Uh, hope, hopefully we can see some change in the sentences. Uh, and, you know, and unfortunately in a lot of those cases, they're intimate partners' relationships. You know, you've been in a relationship with someone, sleeping with them, doing whatever, and then they turn around and kill you, and then they tell the judge or the police, I didn't know they were trans, and then they get away with it because of the biases uh-huh. of the law enforcement and judicial system. Hopefully that starts to change more. Um, so yeah, the murders, the um, any uh, the the fair housing, jobs, uh, healthcare. Those are those are consistent challenges that our community face, and our community has been in a state of emergency for for so long now. You know, and that's just good, just goes to show our resilience because people are constantly trying to push us down, suppress us, oppress us, and even kill us, but we're still here. We're still resilient. We're still here, and we're still making positive contributions to our our community and society, regardless of those challenges. You know, I mean, it is when you stop and you see it. Um, I notice that you know how you always put the T first, and I'm gonna tell you, yes. I think that some of the strongest warriors are trans, particularly trans women. But, I mean, I know some really strong trans men, too. And to be out there at a point in time, you know, when there's so much going on, to be still out there. I know you and I shared a friend, Monica Roberts. And, you know, when I heard Monica died, it was like, Mm. oh, no. But that often, whenever she and I would talk, one of the last things I say now, girl, I know you out there and you're gonna do what you have to do. But mm-hmm. be careful. Yeah. Yeah. But be careful. And that part as you sort of see, even like, you know, people who are doing advocacy work that, you know, you don't always have to end with that, but there was that thing that please be careful, you know. <laughs> please yeah. be careful. Somebody and we appreciate got to that. Mm-hmm. Yes, because there's someone out there. They they don't want to see us shine. They don't want to see us grow. They don't want to be us to see us being a part of the community um, without having to justify who we are. And they they always want to question why are we here. Um, so we we need more people like that. You know, um, it, it's hard, but we have to continue to do what we have to do because there's no other choice but to you know cower in a corner somewhere. And I'm not doing that. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No. Hey, don't you dare. <laughs> Mm-mm. Nope. And, and we appreciate it, you know, when people are honestly concerned about our safety and our well-being. So, yes, thank you. And, you know, and uh, and I think that the other thing that is so important and about the work that you're doing, your visibility, Monica's visibility, other women's mm-hmm. like Karen's visibility, all these people's visibility because I was talking to a friend of mine and who has a trans daughter and she said, you know, I can do so much, but she needs her aunties. Yeah, her each trans- one teach one. 
Mm-hmm. And she said yeah. that's why she said how it's so important to her and to be able to connect with her trans aunties so that yeah. she knows. She said because there's some things that she can't talk to me about, and I'm going like, hey, that's right. And for you that you recognize to do that, you know, that you yeah. recognize to do that, yeah. And you, yeah, we I need mean, our aunties, and we need we need to to look out for each other. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's very important that we we have each other's back. We be each other's mm-hmm. keepers. Mm-hmm. You know, when you and, and you're not going any place anytime soon, but when you when you start to think about legacy and what you would like to leave for the next generation for the world. Hmm. Um, I've I've made a difference. Um, I hope that um I can make the pathway a lot smoother for the next person. Um I, I just want to make be able to make a difference and to, to say that I, I showed up. I showed up mm-hmm. and I participated. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's it. You know. Uh, and you know, you showed up and you participated. You make not only the country you make in, the city that you live in, you make every place that you go, it is better because of the awareness of knowing Tracy McDaniel, you know, that this is who you are, this is what you do, that you stepped out there, you know, you followed yes. that path. So, yes, and it's what? all from my creator. I, I don't, none of this mm-hmm. would be possible with about my creator and my foundation, my mother and my family. Mm-hmm. And I like that you're unapologetic about that, you know, and, uh, you know, especially you see a lot of people in the LG, well, excuse me, the TLGB community have had a bumpy road. Yes. Religion. <laughs> and so some of them, you know, and are looking at, looking for something to come from it, or they're still healing from those wounds. Yes, absolutely. And you mentioned earlier about putting the tea first. I refuse to put myself last or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of people who are who, who are looking at me like, well, what, what, what is she? Who is she? Um, I'm God's child, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to put let you put me in a corner or anyone else put me in a corner. And if I have to come up and take a, a seat and, and move someone over, then I'm going to do that, especially if I'm invited. So. Yeah, I think it's very important for us to uh, – we get into into the habit of, of following other people's leads. So, I mean, it's okay, LGBT, that's cool for some people, but I'm putting myself first, so. Well, you know, there's a, a level of life experience that you and all transgender people have. They're part of knowing who you are. Yes. Of, of recognizing that the package that, you know, just because when you were born, a doctor looked and said one thing, but to, mm. to know mm. who you really are. Yes, and, you know, know thine self. Mm-hmm. And they always talk about born this way, you know, and I know that when Lady Gaga sing it and a lot of gay people go on that, I'm born this you're not talking about, you're really living that. You're born this yeah. way. You've accepted who you are. You are born this way, and there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, That's you know, right. if they say that, that we are all born in God's image and likeness, there you go. 
Yes. You know, God makes no mistake. And I have my own personal relationship with my creator. So whatever uh-huh. anyone else has to say or preacher, whatever, you're not talking to me. You know, uh-huh. I have my personal relationship with my God, my creator, and, and, and my mama loves me. So whatever you got to say, honey, uh-huh. keep it to yourself because it, 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 it won't affect me. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, Tracy, you are a strong, beautiful, wise black woman. I am so happy to have made your acquaintance. And you know, I always tell Marianne, you know, I'm, I'll be I'll be back down there, you know, then COVID. Yeah. You know? But as soon as that's done, I'm coming back down there because you know, just to visit and do that. And I am hoping to be able to spend time in person in your presence. Well, I hope that we make this happen because I definitely want to to meet you in person also. And coming from a beautiful, smart, strong woman, thank you so much for seeing me and um, you know doing this important, having this important conversation because our conversation may save somebody's life. Mhm. Now, if someone is there and they want to find out more about. Excuse me, I've got a strange cough. Juxtaposition. How do they do that? How do they reach you? Well, um, they can reach me. Uh, I'm going to give my email. I, I don't like, I, I, although I use social media, sometimes I don't, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. so I like people to be able to reach me. So my, my email is juxtaposedcenter at bellsouth.net. J is in John, U is in up, X is in X ray, T is in Tom. A is in Apple, P is in Paul, O-S-E-D, center at bellsouth.net. Um, they can reach me there for more information or uh, information about my book. Um, uh, and, if, and, if, and if anyone, you know, they want to talk to me about their child or whatever, I'll be more than happy to speak with them. And your book, um, I think I saw it's available on Amazon. Is that the the preferred place, or can you order it through your website? Well, they can order it um, by emailing me um, at my email address, and um, they can get it on Amazon also, but if they email me, I can um, send them an autographed copy. I'll be doing that. (laughs) Yes. I'll be doing that. You know, you watch that. Um, Oregon Tracy, thank you for all you've done. Uh, for sharing that moment about your mother. You know, I often tell people, say, don't you miss her? I say, you know what? Every now and then I'll, I'll hear a little twinkle or something that makes me think about her, and I just sort of smile. Thank you for giving yes. me that moment today. Absolutely. Um, I, I just wanted to, to say, Michelle, thank you again. And um, I like providing resources to people so that they can walk away with, with some important information. So just quickly, if you don't mind, if you're in Atlanta and if, and if you need housing um, assistance or um, getting your name changed or um, everyday needs, um, um, uh, you can visit transhousingatlanta.org. That's T-R-A-N-S-H-O-U-S-I-N-G, Atlanta.org. And if you're also in Atlanta and if you feel that your, your human and civil rights have been violated by APD or correctional officers, you may go to the Atlanta um, ACRBGov.org and file a complaint and also um, get more information about the Atlanta Citizen Review Board and that process. Okay. 
And I also want people to always remember that human rights are trans rights and trans rights are human rights. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Tracy, I will be in touch with you in the near, very near future. Please stay in touch with me. And I um, definitely will. You know, I want to be able to talk to you about my 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 new book that I'm I'm working on now. So I, I definitely will do that. Okay, because you know I often feature authors. So as you get get closer, you know, as you get to that, I'd love to have you back on to talk about this book. I want to hear about okay. it. Awesome. That's awesome. I'm really excited. Um, Perfect. So am I. I want to thank my guest, Tracy McDaniel. She's the author of Transitions, Memoirs Um, of a Transsexual Woman. McDaniel is also the founder and executive director of Juxtapose Center for Transformation, which is an advocacy, consulting, and social services referral organization specifically designed to empower the non-monolithic trans and gender non-conforming community. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the program on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.